Blog Talk Radio. Listening to Q Talk Radio. I'm your host, Xavier Mejia. Q Talk Radio is an LGBTQ talk radio station. We're also the creators of the LGBT Hero Awards. On today's episode, the 80%, we're going to talk about what the identities of the victims from the Orlando tragedy expose. We have several guests. Today's date is June 20th, and the time is 12 p.m. Our first guest is the Advisory Board President of Latino Equality Alliance. The mission of Latino Equality Alliance is to provide liberty, equality, and justice for the Latino, Latina, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer communities. Latino Equality Alliance is located at Mi Centro LGBTQ Community Center in Boyle Heights. Please help me welcome our first guest, Ari Gutierrez, the Advisory Board President of Latino Equality Alliance. Good afternoon, Adi. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for doing this. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I know we're going to talk about some, uh, uh, you know, some vital messages, but also I just wanted to take this moment to thank you for speaking at the vigil help for the Orlando victims a week ago um, in downtown LA. I heard you speak and some of what you said is what I heard other people saying earlier in the day and, and actually uh, the day before as well. So I wanted to make sure I re- reached out to you and invited you on to talk about some of those uh, key elements. Uh, but before I do that, um, can you share with our audience a little bit about who you are and uh, how your work for Latino Equality Alliance started? Sure. Um, I am uh, a community activist. Um, I identify as lesbian, Latina. I'm uh, born and raised in South Texas actually lived in uh, the Mexican side of the border, Nuevo Laredo, uh, for my early years, and then uh, ended up graduating from high school and college in San Antonio, and then I moved to, to Los Angeles. I pretty much have been working as a uh, LGBT activist since I moved to Los Angeles, having met a, n- a number of individuals who um, were working in, on that. When I discovered that I could, that I had skills <laughs> that I could impart to my community and help make things better, and in particular around communications and marketing, um, that's where I'm, I've tried to to lend a hand and a, and a voice. You know, um, also interested in in politics and uh, public representation by our elected leaders, and wanting to make sure that our community gets its fair share of representation and action and funding and programming that we should have. And so that's really kind of what what my uh, volunteer work uh, revolves around. 
you mentioned Micentro and, of course, Latino Equality Alliance. The Latino Equality Alliance was actually founded by grassroots leaders after, uh, or rather in response to Prop 8. And the, the impetus was that we wanted to make sure that our own community uh, received um, information, public education specifically around LGBT issues, and that it should be in a cultural and linguistic and, you know, faith and family inclusive uh, way. Um, you know, fast forward from 2008 to 2015, we um, established a, an agreement with the LA LGBT Center to open Mi Centro in Boyle Heights. And that's a really a direct um, result of this work that we want to be able to do our LGBT public education work and provide, make sure that they receive services, whether it be mental health or medical health or even just celebrating our culture and who we are um, in a place that's safe and that's welcoming and that is also convenient and within our own community. So it all revolves together. Um, so that's who I am, and that's and I do that as a volunteer. Thank you, thank you for sharing that with our listeners. Um, you and I have met at def- different community events throughout the years. I also know that you took a a very active um, role during the whole marriage equality debate. Uh, can you share with us a little bit about why that was important for you? Yes, um, you know we have. a political action uh, committee called Honor PAC, and we were helping to get uh, individuals elected, you know. But with Prop 8, you know, this was an initiative that we had to jump in and and help with. And other organizations, you know, the large, you know, LGBT organizations were kind of, we got it handled, don't worry about it, you know, we'll take care of it. But we said, no, we have skills. We want to be able to, you know, we have experience within our community. We have language. We want to be able to to do our part. And so we opened um, the uh, NOAM Prop 8 office in East L.A. And the important part about that is that it, it was like openly gay. We were there to do LGBT agenda work. And we were so well received by so much of the community. On uh, the day of the election, we had over 300 volunteers helping. So all that was was incredibly empowering, not just to us, the people who helped run it and so on, but to the community at large. And that was an important uh, turning point for us to be able to, to say, hey, you know what, we need to k- keep carrying this flag. We got to do way more and we got to inform what's going on. And if that means, you know, forcing ourselves at the table uh, where these type decisions are made about our LGBT community or about our Latino community to make sure that our L- Latino LGBT community is included in those discussions and in those efforts, it's up to us to do it. So that that was an important turning point there. Share with us um, what Sunday was like for you, waking up to the news of the Orlando attack. Um, I think the the uh, invitation to have a discussion about this um, has a lot to do with how the media portrays 
violence towards LGBT people in general, and then um, how the topic of being a person of color gets glazed over. Can you share with us from your experience what Sunday was like for you and what were those, uh, well, initial thoughts and then what, what sort of larger discussion um, were you having with people about the events themselves? Well, yes, it was very shocking. Of course, Sunday morning, you think it's all going to be a nice, easy day. It, we're celebrating Pride in Los Angeles, and uh, you know we have uh, our youth going to um, to be part of the parade for the first time, and we've got a whole contingent with the LGBT Center. All these things were all new and exciting, and then all of a sudden we're like, "What? What's going on?" You know, it's and there's fear, you know, that that comes to to your heart, and you say, "Oh, what are we doing? Why do we need to do this?" And one of our um, founding board members, you know, made it, you know, made a statement that he posted on online immediately and I said, you know, this is this is it. We we are here to celebrate pride in who we are and we cannot back away from that. And so we really, you know, we adjusted how the presentation was in during the parade, uh, in terms of our messaging and um so that we could remember Orlando and highlight highlight that. But there was so much confusion and then of course in Los Angeles there was the added um consideration that somebody had been arrested in Santa Monica with a whole bunch of, you know, ammunition and they were headed to the parade. And so it really felt a lot, for us, it felt a lot like 9-11, where you didn't know what was going on, you weren't sure what was safe and what wasn't safe, and but you knew that, that we could be a target um, because of who you are, where you are, you know, i.e. LGBT, Latinos, uh, or just really the Pride Parade because of the event having happened. Um, uh, in Pride Month, and it was an LGBT club. Um, Orlando being East Coast, we were getting uh, information kind of trickling in. People on that side of the coast knew more than we did, uh, but information trickled in a little bit. What didn't trickle in until later was that it was a Latino club and that it was a Latino night, and all of that wasn't showing up on the news, and we're like, why not? And, you know, um, they're forgetting who we are, and and then of course you know they immediately go, well, it's you know it's related to um, the um, international conflicts with ISIS and all that stuff, and we're like, really, you know, but it's here, it's homegrown, and then you start finding out more about the individual. It's just so confusing and terrifying that um, you don't know what to do. And as I, one of the things I said in our in my speech was, what do we tell our youth, you know, about, you know, here we are celebrating pride, but yet we cannot be afraid um, to be who we are, and we, we must press forward and um, and, and, and challenge uh, those who challenge us. And so um, so we marched with pride, and I was so proud of, of the young people uh, for participating. Um, I personally, you know, when I got home, I had my neighbor said, oh, we were there, we didn't see you, but, you know, we, we support you, we support who you are, and this is a, you know, a family who, heterosexual family who took their kids to the parade to be part of their, you know, they, they were part of the Bank of America contingent, so it was so amazing how many people started coming to us about 
how much they support us and, and that they're with us and all that, and, and they felt so bad about what, what happened and, and wanted to share that information with us. I think it's an important uh, point because talking about it and sharing our feelings about it is really what helped us on the marriage equality advocacy. And I think this is an important uh, opportunity to be able to share the level of fear that we may have just for living in, an, in, in this neighborhood. Are we going to be accepted? Are we going to be uh, uh, challenged or uh, persecuted for who we are? You just never know where it could happen. And this And, and I don't think point. people understand the depth of that feeling. You know, I, I don't think people know the, the idea that as, as a gay couple, as a, as a, um, as a gay a person or LGBTQ person or queer person, um, when you, whenever you, you're out and about, there is sort of this heightened um, awareness of the environment around you, and, and a lot of it has to do with the playground already, right? Because this isn't new. This isn't new to us. Um, and, you know, according to the most recent report by the National Coalition of Anti-Violence, uh, you know, it, it said that 80% of those killed in the United States uh, who are of, you know, of our community uh, are people of color? Can you speak about that to me? What what are what are some of those discussions like? Because as it is, I understand we we face you know um, social disparities. Uh, does that tie into the eighty percent? Um, I believe it does. You know, uh, certainly anytime you have issues around poverty, you have issues around uh, employment. You know, i.e. economics. Uh, situations where people become homeless uh, you know that's it's people living at a des- in a desperate level you know and but why are they there is part of the question and and the homophobia that we face the the uh, inequ- inequality in job opportunities for example um, affects our income it affects our living uh, stability and it affects what where we live in terms of our relationships and um, safety that we are able to create for ourselves. So, um, you know, and of course, you know, uh, all of that is fed by the by homophobia, and that's what we're the public education that we're trying to do is to say, you know what. LGBT people are not the ones we need to educate. It's everybody around us. We need to make sure that people feel comfortable with uh, with the issues and with us, and that they may actually have a lot of odd questions or or um, uh, misunderstandings about who we are or or you know uh, what makes somebody gay or what makes somebody transgender or um, what that means in in their in the way they live in the way we live our lives. So this public education really has to be um, community-wide, you know, and we want to be able to reach out. For example, to, we work in the high schools and we work with parents. We don't know who, you know, the, those parents, whether or not they have an LGBT kid or not, but we want to reach to them. Uh, many of the, those presentations are in Spanish. We want for them to know 
what the real issues are and what the facts are so that if their comadre comes to them and say, oh, my child is gay, I don't know mm-hmm. what I'm going to do, and I don't know what I'm going to tell my husband, and uh, uh, what about the relatives, you know, and, uh, you know, toda la familia, they're not going to like it, and uh, all that. This person who's been through our training can then be able to talk to that person and say, first of all, calm down. Second of all, here's some resources. And, and third of all, you love your child the same way today as you did yesterday. So right. don't forget that. Well, Adi, thank you so much for joining us today. I really value that you took time out of your day to, to join us. And I would like to continue that discussion and invite you back on the show in, in the near future. I welcome that. Thank you so much for, for your work in, this, in our community. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Adi. Have a good day. For more information on Latino Equality Alliance, visit latinoequalityalliance.org. Next, we'll be joining by Roland Palencia. Roland is the executive producer of Transdecible Bambi Salcedo Story. Bambi Salcedo Story is an inspirational film about Bambi Salcedo, a trans-Latina woman, now a renowned international leader and trans community advocate. Please help me welcome Roland Valencia. Hi, Xavier. How are you? I'm doing good, Roland. Thank you for joining us today. Um, you know, I was sharing earlier with Adi, I know that the discussion uh you know, has the, the, a heavy tone. So uh, that said, I want to thank you for joining us today. Um, share with us a little bit about who you are. I know that you have been a long-serving member of the community and have worn several hats throughout the years um, and, you know, have invited me to participate in several fundraisers uh, in just, you know, in the last few years. So can you share with our audience a little bit about who you are. Yes, so I I was born and raised in Guatemala, and my family had been politically involved uh, in Guatemala for for many decades. I um, was uh, one of the founders of Gay and Lesbian Latinos Unidos in the early 80s, 80s, as well as Viva. And like you said, I participated in a number of uh, uh, roles, uh, including being the former executive director of Equality California, but also I used to work at the what used to be the Gay and Lesbian Services Community Center, now it's Los Angeles LGBT Center, uh, went uh, back in the early 80s. So it's been quite a, quite a trajectory. Share with us what Sunday morning was like for you? When did you learn about what took place in Orlando? I was actually at the Pride Parade. I uh, was uh, uh, LA Care Health Plan, which is the organization that I work for. Uh, we, for the first time uh, in the history of the organization, participated as an organization. And so we had uh, a contingent uh, in the parade, and I. Uh, you know, I found out uh, at that time. I, I was, uh, I had been, as you had been, at uh, celebrating Bambi Salcido's graduation from college, from university, and so I had had a long night, so to speak, and and that's when I found out. And the first thing that uh, that uh, I mean, first, uh, it was just my heart 
uh, went to all the the victims and the families and relatives of the victims. The uh, 300 people who were impacted, 49 of them who um, who 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 were killed. Uh, actually, 48. I'm not going to count the killer. And, uh, and over 50 people who were injured and many in critical conditions. And obviously, there were 300 people there, and, and it was a carnage. And this was the worst, uh, certainly the the biggest massacre uh, against LGBT people in, in the history of this nation that, that I can think of, uh, unless we obviously uh, talk about the AIDS epidemic, which in, in many ways was... Uh, uh, in a words, an act of, uh, of uh, complete disregard and complete, I would say, certainly homophobia and acephobia, but also hate that is promoted by very uh, religious, right-wing uh, 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 entities and individuals, including elected officials. And so this uh, was a reminiscent of that. It was reminiscent of all the struggles that we had had. But it's also the largest massacre of Latinos uh, on Latinas. Eighty percent, ninety percent of the of the impacted were of Latina and Latino descent. So it really, and, and that is something that we as a Latina Latino community have not. Uh, and I don't know how much our media has really done work to really emphasize the fact that this was the Latina, the Latino community was hugely, hugely impacted by this. You know, I think, uh, you know, I've heard on, on the ground people uh, in our specific community here in LA, uh, particularly people of color, speak about that very element, the element that this not only is the largest uh, Violent act in the U.S. I mean, in this sense, but that our Latino community was hit hard, and and I could see in the eyes and uh, in the hearts of many folks uh, in the days after that there was sort of this feeling like, hey, that could have been me, you know, and yeah. and connecting with friends, saying like, hey, we've been there, we we have been. Yeah. In the yeah. safe spaces together, because oftentimes these are our safe spaces. Can you share with me the significance or, or your opinion on what is the significance of um, a large majority of queer and well, trans people of color representing the the violent crimes in the U.S.? Well, eighty percent of the LGBT. Uh, crimes of hate against the LGBT community, 80%, over 80% of those are against people of color, and that's hugely disproportional. And of course, there should be no violence. We're not saying it should be equal, meaning that other people should rise their levels of, you know, levels of violence should be against them, obviously not. Uh, the whole point is to to have no violence. Um, but this is not, this whole, these things don't happen out of context. The reality is that we had had over 6,000 people killed this year alone uh, due to gun violence. And that's whether uh, one person or individuals committing suicide or uh, for, due to accidents, due to lack of safety, uh, gun safety uh, 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 situations. Uh, so over 6,000 people. So that means that about 1,000 people are getting killed due to gun violence a month, 33 individuals per day. 
that's uh, about more than one person every single hour. So by the time mm. that we're done with this phone call, almost two people have, would have been killed by gun violence. So these uh, tragedies just help us to highlight that this is an undercurrent uh, that is going on in our society. This is not an anomaly. This is just an exaggeration of what happens on a daily basis. And obviously, this um, kind of violence, you have here convergence of uh, a man who is deranged, uh, probably internalized homophobia, uh, deep uh, hatred for LGBT people, and uh, the fact that it's really easy to access, uh, it's harder to get cough medicine than to actually get uh, military-style assault weapons here in the U.S. And on top of that, you have uh, these men being informed by fundamentalist religions, including uh, the Muslim religion, uh, the fundamentalist version of that, and also the Christian fundamentalist uh, religious right version. This man was born and raised in the U.S., so he certainly has been impacted by both of those uh, uh, traditions and uh, the work that. So this leaves, uh, you know, real uh, begs the question uh, that uh, religious leaders really have to take to heart. You know, what uh, did they want to be on the side of peace and love, or did they want to be on the side of violence? And I think the uh, religious community, um, the progressive religious community, certainly in the uh, in the in the Christian uh, denominations and Catholic denominations, and as well as the Muslim denominations, they've been doing a lot of hard work. But it seems that this kind of violence, uh, you know, catches up. Um, so one of the things that I also want to say is that uh, I have been really impressed with how the LGBT community has uh, has uh, reacted to this. Uh, when people are attacked uh, in the way we were attacked, the default is uh, not only fear but also hatred. And 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 our <laughs> default, you can say, that our blueprint as a people is love and compassion and caring. And I know that many people on the right, the religious right and the Islamophobics, expected us to, to, to basically fight hate with hate. And, in, and, and, and we know that there, the vast majority of Muslims uh, are not uh, violent people and they want, and actually many of them are victims of the violence of these uh, extremist fundamentalists in the Muslim religion. So I just think that it's important to make that distinction. Um, but uh, this whole uh, tragedy highlights the fact that people of color will be disproportionately uh, or have been disproportionately impacted by, uh, by violence. And I think that uh, it's a turning point in terms of the LGBT community and also the people of color community to become allies uh, in this uh, gun safety movement. And I think that we're going to really, uh, this is, uh, uh, you know, there is an opportunity now to to really fight, you know, the the, the actual gun violence, but also the, the verbal violence, the, the psychological and the emotional violence that is perpetrated against uh, marginalized communities. And we obviously are at the crossroads, at the intersection of many of those communities. So it impacts us even more. Well, you know, you, you touch on, a, on several important points. And, and the Huffington Post just posted, you know, a few days ago, um, in their blog, this article or this piece that says, what do the Orlando attack and the AIDS 
and AIDS have in common, and it really talks about the idea of, you know, being um, an underground culture or um, a culture that's not part of the mainstream, and then all of a sudden something happens and it becomes catapulted into the mainstream. So as that's happening, I, I you know, personally I've seen very little coverage of the fact that there's ramifications and an impact to a community of color, and it's not being spoken from that perspective. It's only uh, included as part of, you know, the stats, you know, the initial stats. Right. Like, oh, it was Latino night or a lot of Latinos. But there's no there's no depth to the discussion. So in wanting to let the, the community at large know what this means to people of color. Uh, what does that mean to you? What, is it, what does it mean as a person of color? Well, um, I mean, as I mentioned, I mean, we, we um, basically when you debase and you marginalize a community, that community becomes vulnerable. And if you are part of many communities, in the case of LGBT Latinos, uh, you know, let's say you're a Latina, lesbian, who's an immigrant, I mean, you already have three, four communities right there that you basically uh, personalize. So your vulnerability in terms of these types of violence, and like, like I said, it doesn't have to be these tragedies that are very compacted where many people get killed at once, but on a daily basis. I mean, uh, 33 people, every 35 people every single day, the vast majority of those are people of color. And uh, so uh, it has to do with uh, the fact that these lives are considered disposable and, uh, and that they're considered, uh, uh, you know, something that society should not care about. And, and that's why uh, we are very disproportionately because of the uh, various stigmatized communities that we intersect with uh, many times in one individual. Well, Roland, thank you so much for calling in and, and for joining the discussion today. Um, you know, this is going to definitely be one of those ongoing uh, episodes. So I'd like to invite you to call back at, at a later date as we continue to have the, this discussion and evolve from it. And, and you know, I want to invite other guests to come in and, and, and speak about their angle. And so for that, thank you so much for joining us today. That means a lot to me. Thank you, Xavier, for hosting this. Very much needed. Thank you. Absolutely. Have a good day. You too. Thanks. For more, infin- for more information on Transvisible, the Bambi Salcedo story, visit transvisiblefilm.com. We were just talking to Roland Valencia. Next, we're joined by a guest who... I haven't spoken to directly before on our station, but uh, she has been on the ONZ show with Ophelia and Zoe. Uh, so our next guest is Janiset Eva Gutierrez. Janiset's a community organizer, and she also fights for social justice. Um, let me read the mission statement. Uh, she also is a part of the Familia Trans Queer Liberation Movement, works at local and national levels to achieve the collection liberation of trans of uh, the collective liberation of trans, queer and and gender nonconforming Latina X through building community, organizing, advocacy and education. Help me welcome Janiset to the show. Janice, <clears throat> como esta? 
Hi, I'm well, thank you. Muy bien, gracias. You know, thank you for, for calling in. As I was saying, you have been um, on our station before. You and I haven't spoken on air directly, uh, but I want to welcome you back. Uh, and at the first time we had you on, you were on right after, you know, speaking out um, at, at, at at the White House and got a lot of a lot of. Uh, press around that. Can you share with our audience a little bit about who you are, um, a little bit about that date, and then and then we'll get into the to the discussion. Yes, um, June twenty fourth, two thousand fifteen. So next Friday will be a year ago that I was invited to the White House uh, as part of Familia TQLM along with. Um, Get Equal, another national organization that wanted to really highlight the conditions of undocumented transgender women, specifically inside the detention centers. So to me, being in in that space uh, inside the White House when the president was going to be speaking to our community, that's when I really, like, you know, spoke up and, and really challenged the conditions that our communities, um, especially transgender women, are facing inside these detention facilities. So I, I wrote my voice, and it created a dialogue, but it was something that other people have been working around this issue specifically. So to me, it was very challenging. It was um it really took me out of my own comfort zone, but, but it is passion that drives me for to be part of the the, the the change that is needed as we continue to move as a community for social change. You know, I know that the reception uh, for, you know, that moment where you speak out was pretty controversial. And I heard a mix, some mixed messages and, and just like this past uh, weekend, or, or I'm sorry, the weekend before, it's sort of like messages were divided, and it was sort of, I saw a very clear line, and so, you know, you had people of color cheering on this this movement, uh, particularly, you know, um, folks on the, on the front lines, you know, speaking for LGBTQ people, uh, Latinx folks, and so, so there was a lot of applause and a lot of re- a good reception there. Like, you know, we need more people to, to, to do this. But it wasn't necessarily the same reaction that the mainstream or, or, the, or, the, or, the, or the larger, you know, um, maybe Eurocentric part of the community um, felt like. I, I heard a lot of, I saw a lot of backlash uh, and heard a lot of backlash and, and some booing and all of that. So this kind of reminds me of why this discussion is important because I think not everybody understands what we, we face as people of color. So um, do you see any ties? If so, what, what are those? Um, unfortunately, my own community really um, turned its back on me. Right, right. The mainstream LGBT communities that were in attendance, um, most of them, I believe, were anticipating the U.S. Supreme Court marriage equality decision, 
So, but like you mentioned, other people really understood the significance of the issues that I was raising. So it is really sad that many people really um, concentrated heavily on respectability politics, meaning that it was in the right place, it was in the right time, right? But um, specifically transgender women of color, when do we ever have the right place at the right time to really speak about the issues that we are facing daily? Um, last mm-hmm. year alone, we had the highest number of transgender murders in the U.S. Most of the victims were black and Latina. This year, we already have lost 12 uh, of our sisters, right? Again, most black and Latina. So where is the community like being outraged about this violence that we're facing? Right, so to me, I wanted to to say, you know, like we are as a community really tired of the violence that we are facing. We are tired of not having access to uh, jobs. We're tired of not having access to healthcare, not having access to um, education, housing. You know, so many challenges that we face as a community, and and to me that that they don't really get behind it. And it's just like sometimes when unfortunate tragedies happen, everybody wants to come to the forefront and say, oh, we'll get behind this community. But when in reality, they're not really doing it. You know, so to me, speaking about those things that we are facing was really crucial and it was important because um, it is that time. You know, let's look back at Sylvia Rivera when... She took on the stage at the Pride. You know, we're celebrating Pride this month, and Sylvia Rivera in 1969, you know, what took over the stage and say, have you ever, you know, speaking to, to the LGBT community specifically, like, have you ever been beaten? Have you ever been raped? You know, and, and things like that. And she was speaking of, of our brothers and sisters who are in, in jails and things like that, how the, the mm-hmm. state really you know, abuses our community. So to me, those are the things that I had in mind that I had to really bring up and and really challenge and invite my community to really support us and get behind it so we can improve our lives, yeah. So, you know, part of the discussion that I want to get to is sort of why... um, why some of the why the some of the percentages seem higher? I know that you've been talking about that, uh, but I also uh, was reading that uh, people of color are less likely to call authorities for help, are less likely to report um, incidences of of crime. Um, can you share with me why why you believe that is? Um. You make a very good point. I think part of what we deal with as a community, like you just cannot tell someone what part of the transition they're in. I think transgender women, specifically uh, black and Latinas, we go through this very difficult journey, this very difficult process where um, we are already, you know, criminalized heavily in this system, right? So the moment we we are facing some specific type of, of violence or, or something, 
we really hold back from getting the police involved because we know we're going to be exposed to more harassment from the police because they don't understand our identity or the, the first thing they ask, give me your identification. So to us, that's where the dehumanization process begins because they don't want to respect or acknowledge your identity, right? So it's extremely difficult because, especially for undocumented transgender women, because to be able to to go through the process of really changing your name, you have to go through the court. So there's no really a very clear way how do we do it so people can truly acknowledge our, our trans identity. So the, the thing it's that not like you can streamline the process. You know, there's no streamlining the process. There are several steps, and all those steps come with uh, barriers and challenges. Uh, and, and like you said, um, there's a whole layer of immigration that we haven't even brought up to the to, to the discussion today, which is if you're a person that, you know, um, is here, uh, you know, as an immigrant, th- that alone brings a whole other set of issues and may already feel uh, already targeted. Absolutely. And, and that is what's happening. You know, I've ever since the interruption, I have been, um, reached out by different uh, people like, you know, how do I do it? What do you have to do to get to that, to, to the point that you are? So there's no one specific process, you know, of steps to take. Um, what I tell people in my community, like people have to find the, their own way, their own time without really feeling pressure, right? So if when you add another layer of complexity to our humanity and, and how complex we are as individuals, then you, you put the undocumented community that is hardly ever talked about in the mainstream LGBT community, right? Because they, they don't see a connection. They don't think that the issues that we are dealing with is something they shouldn't be working around because, you know, or, or of our immigration status. So that was, to me, what's really important to challenge my community, to challenge the president um, in these times and say, you know, we can just not allow for our community to continue to suffer, to continue to, to face discrimination and, and abuse inside this, you know, outside of society and inside this, this immigrant detention facility. So to me, it's extremely important to continue to raise my voice, to continue to to really let them know what, what are some of the issues that we face at the community. And again, hopefully they will not just you know, saying it or admit it, but get behind it and really work with us as we move forward. So, you know, as, as people were celebrating marriage equality, you were speaking about, is, okay, as much as we want to celebrate, the work is not done. And part of that work is that our community, particularly uh, transgender women of color in detention centers, are experiencing violence at uh, high levels. And I want to make sure that, that, you know, we talked about the idea that the violence that we're experiencing as a community, as community of color, it, it's not just uh, Orlando, but it's an ongoing, this is, this is just another, this is another a knot, you know, another notch um, of, of violence that the, the people of color are experiencing. What can we do to help um, 
stop some of the violence or stop the violence that um, our transgender sisters are experiencing in detention centers? Um, there's so much happening to the transgender community right now around the nation. Like over 200 bills have been introduced specifically targeting the transgender community. Um, so, the, you know, the backlash that we have faced as a community in general based on same-sex um, marriage equality that all these mainstream LGBT organizations were so eager to get behind and invested millions of dollars and, and resources into that fight. But then again, for transgender women, specifically transgender women of color, um, marriage wasn't a priority, right? Our priority is to survive. Our priority is to have a roof over our heads that we can have uh, food, that we can have access to quality education, that we can have access to health care if we choose to go to hormonal you know, treatment and things like that. So although I do highly believe that the U.S. Supreme Court and the nation made the right decision, um, you know, marriage equality wasn't a priority for many of us. So what is happening now, though, the violence that we see in Orlando, the violence that, that the, the discrimination laws that are being really um, showing up in different states is something that we, the trans women of color, have faced in our daily lives daily. Right, if we look at the numbers on you know, the numbers are there, like I'm not making this up. So what people really need to do, like really for once, really let us speak up, right? Don't just shut us up because you think it's not the right time or the right place. Really start to invest in, in the issues that we are facing. Really bring transgender women into leadership positions because if you look at any organization or any LGBT center around the nation, I'll guarantee you I'm more than happy to work with you and the fact that you will not see trans women being in leadership positions is very rare. So they need to start really um, you know, providing opportunities for us to also be part of the of the, the, the difficult discussions as we continue to move forward. So they need to really invest in, in the issues that we are facing. So, absolutely. You know, housing is the major. So, resources are really key for us at the community to continue to move forward. Well, Jenny said, thank you so much for calling in today. I want to invite you to come on and help, you know, facilitate a, a discussion. Um, about these particular issues, framed particularly around just what you're saying, you know, about creating leadership positions for, you know, um, transgender women within our, our community. So if if that's something that you're up for, please, uh, you know, let's connect and have you come on and, and we'll have a, you know, it's not just about having you on once or having the discussion once, right? It, it, what I'm hearing is it has to be part of the ongoing discussion and, and be part of the, uh, the round table, to have a seat and a place at the round table. And so I, I hope you take me up on my invitation to to, uh, to join us another time. Okay, I will. Thank you. Thank you so much for calling in, and I wish you a good day. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. We were just talking to Janice Eva Gutierrez, community organizer for Familia TQLM, social justice fighter, 
And their mission, Familia Trans Queer Liberation Movement, works at local and national levels to achieve the collective liberation of trans, queer, and gender nonconforming Latina X through building community, organizing, advocacy, and education. For more information, please visit familiatqlm.org. Next, we're joined with we're joined by Mario Ceballos. Mario Ceballos is the president of Honor Pact, and Honor Pact has been around since 2015. Honor Pact has become an authority on Latino, Latina, LGBTQ political action, and Honor Pact is a nonpartisan, mission-driven political action committee. Please help me welcome Mario Ceballos. Mario, welcome to the show. How are you? Hi, Javier. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Thank you for calling in. Um, you know, so you're the president of Honor Pack, and I know that you've been involved with LGBT political issues for, you know, a, a good while. So, you know, I wanted to ask you, you know, what we could do at a political level to help, you know, our brothers and sisters to help make sure that there are, you know, more representation, so that there is more representation, that we could talk about gun violence, that we can speak about mental health issues, that we can speak about um, inequality of economics. And, you know, what what is your take on what's going on? Okay, well, thank you. First of all, I just want to begin, Javier, by thanking you for what you're doing and I think for creating this space that I think is a really important space for our community and our allies to be connected to and, and, and really hear uh, not just the voices but our perspectives uh, as we try to just carry out our lives with this, you know with uh, the same level of dignity and effort that everyone else does in our country and uh, I think that you know you taking this on is something um, that you want to do and help impact the world is really, really important. So thank you for that. Um, also, I just want to let you know, we uh, ANAPAC has actually been in existence since 2005. So we have been um, an organization that was created over 10 years ago by a group of um, individuals who um, uh, decided that they were, there was a moment in time where it wasn't going to be left unto others to do our work, but for us to come together and really begin to uh, engage in political leadership development so that uh, we not only were elected, uh, electing our own, our own LGBT Latino um, leaders, uh, but that it also meant that we were going to be um, ensuring that the issues relevant to our committee and to our, our community were going to be addressed. Um, and so I'm very proud to be um, a member of this um, organization. I think that I have found um, that um, there are people who are deeply devoted and are making extreme sacrifice to ensure that throughout not just California, but across our country, we are helping identify and support LGBTQ leaders 
um, who will ensure that our societies and our communities are a much more inclusive place for all of us to live and grow up and raise families and and contribute. Um, and uh, I know that you know I've been listening to the program since it started, and I know that you had um, my um, sister Adi Gutierrez and my brother Roland Palencia on, um, and they were able to I think talk about a number of really important issues from um, you know ensuring that we uh, find dignity in who we are, that we celebrate who we are, even in the darkest moments of history, like the massacre of uh, Orlando, but that we also really understand uh, and contextualize our intersections to the different communities that we are a part of, and and that is is people who are immigrants, people who are LGBTQ, people who are uh, parents, and then. Um, and also people who are also victimized by the horrible experience of of gun violence and crime, and uh, and with that also be able to stand against a tide of of hate that could easily be um, can easily overwhelm any one single community. You know, um, and I'm specifically trying to address that. Uh, you know, for me, Sunday was a really important point, um, but one thing I wanted to make sure that is we defended um, our, and, and stood up for the love and protection of our LGBT Latino community, that we also didn't want our Muslim brothers and sisters to be scapegoated that we really needed to stay focused on what are the real issues, what are the underlying issues that we need to address as a society uh, to, you know, really ensure that um, it is a better place for all of us who are, are walking this earth and certainly are part of this great country that is the United States. Having said that, you know, I want to tell you that Anapak's mission is um, – it is, of course, to elect qualified LGBT Latino Q uh, candidates to elected office, and um, and that's something that we we felt that nobody should be, you know, if we wanted to see that, then we needed to get ourselves into action and 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 begin to support and identify and and develop those leaders. But at the mm-hmm. end of the day, you know, we are also committed to a, a platform that talks about so many other issues that lift community as a whole. And that is, you know, economic development, a woman's right to choose, marriage equality, education, immigration reform, um, and it goes on and on and on. And these are all issues that matter to um, our broad society. Right, and so this is where um, you know we now have a track record of identifying, and uh, and we're very proud to have ha- to have um, statewide and national leaders who are not just recognized because they are LGBTQ Latino, but they're actually uh, recognized for their leadership to uplift community. You know, and I can go mm-hmm. on with a few examples, but. 
you know, if I, yeah, I can tell you, we can start now, you know, at the moment with California State Senator Ricardo Lara. I mean, his health for all bills, that is a bill that is there to protect and ensure that no immigrant, undocumented immigrant in the state of California is going to go without health care. You know, that to be able to have that safety net, that we, we look at former Speaker of the uh, uh, John Perez, you know, the, again, he's somebody who made sure that our state was a state um, ha- that had and continued to have the vibrancy of a not just uh, a national economy, but a world economy um, that took on the difficult decisions to ensure that you know, our government, even during these very difficult economic times, was going to be responsive to all those who needed um, the support and assistance of government in a in a responsible way. Um, and now with with our uh, mayor in Long Beach, Robert Garcia, who has had, I think, a very unfortunate experience, but yet has been an incredible leader. Um, you know, with the attacks that happened in Paris, we all know that there was a, a young, promising girl who was killed in that attack. And then here he is again dealing with the 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 horror of uh, of of terrorism and gun violence and hate uh, just a week ago and having to mobilize our community to, to be a community that comes together, that, that in, in moments uh, like as horrible as, the, as these, we focus on the possible and uh, what is going to you know, ensure that we're taking care of one another and, and doing that. So what I can tell you is that for anybody listening is that whether or not you're somebody who considers themselves a political individual or doesn't, or may have a love-hate relationship with politics. Um, I hope that Honor Pack is a place where you can channel your energy and your financial support so that we can continue to identify those individuals who are really focusing not on partisan politics, but on a, the issues that really will help our community and our society um, build. Um, for a better place and a better future across our country. And for that reason... I really appreciate you saying that, Mario, because, you know, I think as important as the discussion is to have, um, you know, processing is definitely part of of our coping, right? So, and I don't want to belittle that part of the process, but but I also feel that part of our strength uh, traditionally has been, able, has been being able to stand up to the bully, to stand up to that playground, um, you know, just moment that, that you look dead into that person's eye and say, enough is enough. Today I'm standing up. Today I found my voice. Today, you know, um, I will be somebody who will not. So as that happens, I mean, I feel like, you know, part of that discussion has to involve the political process. So, mm-hmm. you know, here we are running out of time. And, and I know that and I had a feeling we wouldn't have enough time to to encapsulate mm-hmm. the whole discussion. So I do want to invite you to come back to speak more about not only Honor Pack, but sort of how can we get people to become involved um, with at the political level and what ramifications 
has to be able to do so because I think really, you know, uh, that's what we're looking for right now. We're looking for accountability. And as a community, we're saying, how could this happen? And how can this happen um, under these set of circumstances, right? So there's the, the immediate macro issue, but there's also the micro, and today we spoke about the micro, so I want to uh, like to uh, invite you to come back and speak about the macro issue here, which is that political investment, uh, if you're up for that. Yeah, and, and I just want to say, you know, that first of all, I would just encourage everyone to get involved at their local level. You know, find out who's running for office, who's representing you in the school district, in your utility district, in your city hall and all that. Start from, you know, the, the place where you feel you can have the most impact. Be engaged and support and be open about what it is that you think will, you know, matters to you and your family and your own reality. So, uh get involved, you know, and, and really believe that you have a voice and you have an impact. And, and Javier, before I leave, I do want to tell you that, you know, we have a gun violence um, and uh, health crisis. And I think it's really important that when we begin to look at what this is doing to our LGBT people of color community and our society as a whole is that this is a health crisis. Just like the AIDS epidemic was, it started very slowly and suddenly it's been a tsunami that has that has destroyed our, our community for over 30 years. And so I hope everyone really begins to put and, and make their, their elected officials accountable and make sure that there's no blood in their hands uh, when Absolutely. it comes to gun, gun reform. So thank you for the opportunity, and you know that I'm always here uh, should you need me to uh, engage with you in these important discussions. Thank you so much, Mario. I wish you a very good day. Thank you. Bye-bye. For more information on this episode or past episodes, please visit qtalkradio.com. I'm your host, Xavier Mejia. Have a good day.